Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Kerry Clack, columnist, editorial board. Uh, Metro editor, Greg Jefferson. Nancy Prayer Johnson, associate editorial board editor. And uh, a lot of news happening in Texas politics this week. We've got a debate on Friday between Governor Greg Abbott and his Democratic challenger, Beto O'Rourke. In San Antonio, um, we had Councilman Mario Bravo suspended from his uh, counts, uh, committee assignments by Mayor Ron Nuremberg uh, last Friday over some uh, some uh, kind of a, a personal attack that uh, Mario Bravo uh, initiated against uh, uh, fe- fellow council member Ana Sandoval. And uh, we also seen a, a dark money group um, spend more than $259,000 in ads on KSAT and Ken's uh, against a Republican county judge candidate, uh, Trish DeBerry. Um, and you can read all about uh, all of those stories in the Express News, and we'll be probably be following up on, on some of them. But the big thing, of course, is just that we're in an election season and we want to make, I think everyone uh, who cares about this wants to make sure that that the elections run smoothly and that there's access for everyone. And I don't think there's any been anybody in uh, Bear County government who's been more um, uh, engaged in the issue of voter access and and you know, having fair elections. Then our, our guest today, uh, County Commissioner Justin Rodriguez, he's a former state representative, former city council member. And uh, he really took the lead in 2020, in particular at the height of the pandemic to make sure that uh, that people had access to voting. Commissioner, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to see everybody in person. And I, I would ask what's been happening since uh, I last saw you all in 2019. But uh, <laughs> I think we can tick through the snowpocalypse and the global pandemic. Uh, but it's so good to be with you guys and, and uh, happy to see Nancy's here. You got some great uh, folks and Carrie on, on the podcast as well. So uh, thanks for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Well, you know, uh, I, th- I think it's, it was a few weeks ago that um, the commissioner's court approved 259 uh, election day uh, voting sites, but but asked uh, Jackie Hallman with the elections office to, to try to come back with more. I think 43 more because 302, I think, was the number that you, you all had uh, in, in 2020. Um, where do we stand now with that? And uh how concerned are you about making sure that, that there are enough yeah. sites? Yeah. You know, so let me let me give some context first to, I think, the whole um, election site conversation. If you go back before even 2019, when I got on commissioner's court, you remember that we were using precinct level of voting sites. So um, let's say, Nancy, you were in precinct uh, 2024. You were, uh, by virtue of that, tethered to your neighborhood polling location for election day, right? We always had early voting. Um, and But if you waited to election day, you had to go to your specific school. Um, in, in my case, uh, Woodlawn Hills, which is up the street from where I live. Um, in 2019, uh, we enacted the vote centers, which is part of, I think, uh, important uh, context and background for this conversation we're about to have. Because by virtue of the vote centers now, um, in addition to the early voting sites where you can go anywhere, um, now on election day, we have vote centers where you can go anywhere, right? So um, I, I think uh, adds a lot more uh, access, uh, predictability for voters. You don't show up and say, oh, sir, ma'am, you're in the wrong location. Um, so it's certainly an advancement, I think, for uh, for voting rights. Uh, so that was enacted in 2019. Now, by virtue of that, the legislature put in effect um, kind of a scaled down provision if you chose to do so. So um, like you mentioned, we had 302 
uh, boat center sites. Um, there is a permissive law on the books that says you can scale that back now if you've gone to vote center. So you don't necessarily have to uh, have 302. You can scale that back by 50 or 60% if you wanted to. Um, so look, I, I'm of the thought we give voters as much opportunity, access, options as possible. Um, I had a little bit of heartburn about reducing those numbers. Um, and, and look, if there's going to be a trade-off in my estimation, you know, now the way things have progressed and the trend line is majority of voters are taking advantage of early voting, right? I mean, I think it's 65% or so. So if we're going to scale back on the one hand election day sites, let's increase the number of early voting sites, which is what we did this election cycle. So in 2022, as we go to the polls here in a few weeks, uh, we're going to have 51 early voting sites. It's the most we've ever had here in Bear County. Um, but we also asked our elections administrator, look, if you're going to scale back the election day sites, um, there should probably be a better public transparent process of how you're going to do that. Because, uh, you know, um, Ms. Garcia, who lives um, on the west side by Wren Middle School in Edgewood, has gone to Wren Middle School in Edgewood for the last 50 years, and she's walked up on uh, election day, right? And if you're, if you're closing that, um, there is a chance you are going to disproportionately impact uh, communities of color, those uh, communities that don't have great transportation. Um, and, and so uh, we've asked her, look, let's, let's slow this down a little bit. And if we're going to eliminate voting sites on election day, uh, perhaps we do it in phases. Perhaps we do it with a process post-2022 election. Uh, so we have asked her, her recommendation that she brought back to court a few weeks ago was uh, 259 election day sites. So it was going to eliminate some. We've asked her to add back the 302. Um, as of uh, this recording, we don't have a status on that yet, but we're getting very short on time uh, to get notice out to voters on what the election day sites will be. Uh, we do know that we'll have the 51 early voting sites and um, those are being, I think, published as we speak. Um, but the election day sites are the ones that have been proposed to be um, reduced again from about 300 to 259. And um, not just myself, but other commissioners had some concern about that. And so we all asked her to come back with the the 50 additional um, sites to keep intact uh, the 302 for this election uh, cycle. You know, uh, in, in 2020, you, you took some steps to try to make sure that during the pandemic, people could could vote in a way that was going to be safe for them and uh, and make sure there was plenty of access one of the things you 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 put forward was the you, know, you had the mega centers uh, uh where uh, you know people were able to vote you also uh, one of the things you did was you sent out um applications for mail ballots to everyone who qualified people 65 and over and so on and last year we had a state law passed pretty restrictive election law which uh among the other things it did it it eliminated that or, or banned that. And um, we've talked about that a lot on the podcast because I've tried to make sense of it. Uh, and I, I'm sure that that's something that, that bothered you. When it, you it's, that. it's completely frustrating. And, and I think it um, underscores the attack on voting rights that we've seen. Look, I, I sat through some of those legislative sessions and, and engaged in some of those discussions about um, what, I believed and others believe was the intent of uh, some of these laws. Um, I think in 2017, which was my last uh, legislative session, 
um, the Republicans eliminated straight ticket balloting. Now, you know, look, you could argue there's merits on both sides of that. In fact, I will tell you, and maybe it's because I'm a lawyer, I, I never voted straight ticket, but but I don't like taking options away from voters, right? That that was an option of convenience for voters. Um, and they did that very specifically in 2017 to make it effective in the 2020 presidential election. Surprise, surprise. So, um, so, so, you know, there, there, there are concerns that I've had, um, and I've witnessed firsthand, um, why there are people out there who believe the fewer voters that vote, the better for, um, certain parties and special interests. Um, and, and I'm of the opposite mind. I'm my thinking is, look, the more people that engage in this process, um, this very what's become a very delicate process of democracy. Right. Um, the, the better. And it, it's it's concerning. I think in, in the 2020 election, we saw a significant rejection rate of mail ballots. I'm sorry, in, in the in the last uh, municipal election uh, because of this, uh, this law that was passed, I, I think it was somewhere close to 30 percent rejection rate. Um, that was reduced in the subsequent election because we had to be a little bit more deliberate about educating folks. And I think, Gilbert, you and I spoke um, last year sometime. My own mom, um, her, her ballot was was rejected uh, because of the confusion. Right. And, and there's, I think, very deliberate confusion on the parts of, of the people that write these bills. Um, and, and so uh, we've got to combat, combat that some some way. And I think the only way we can combat that at the local level is by education, by outreach. Um, the counties engage someone this cycle to make sure that not just through um, an outreach campaign and public awareness campaign, but actually folks going into senior centers and explaining to them, this is how you have to do it. And, you know, let's cross all the T's, dot all the I's, um, just so that you can make sure you don't have any um, ballots returned or any confusion. So, um, so it's very concerning. And I will tell you, you know, I felt a part of what we did in 2020, unlike, um, you know, some other communities, but also very similar to say Harris County, uh, we tried to extend the voting hours. In fact, we did extend the voting hours in 2020. Uh, Gilbert, you mentioned the mega sites that was in part due to COVID, right? We wanted people to be able to come in public and vote safely. So we used like the AT&T Center as an example, St. Paul Community Center in, in my community, just so you could come in and there'd be enough space uh, for folks to vote safely in person. Um, so so those type of things, I think, um, were, were obviously noted by folks in Austin and some things they didn't like. Um, they didn't like the extra hours that we were giving folks. Um, and because of that, we saw even more restrictive laws passed um, this last session, um, including uh, the, the, the uh, as you mentioned, the um, applications to mail ballots. So we, we cannot be proactive this cycle and mail out the applications. And we're not talking about the, the actual ballots. We, yeah. yeah. we can't, you know, if we see someone that has historically, uh, who's let's say like my mom in her seventies, who's historically voted um, by mail, uh, we cannot proactively send her an application. Uh, she's got to go through the uh, ropes and and make sure she fills out everything to get her ballot. So um, it, it's un unfortunate. It's discouraging. But I think at the same time, people who I, I think are like minded, like myself and others, um, are, are I think even more dogged about making sure that people engage and and um, and, and you know also get people uh, registered as well. We got a lot of new voters that are energized by I think the candidates at the top of the ballot this cycle. Um, one of the things that we saw in this uh, 
Texas election law was that it, it empowered uh, partisan poll watchers. And this is coming off of a 2020 election cycle when we had obviously a lot of uh, controversy about the, the presidential result. And we had uh, election workers in Georgia and in other places being targeted. They were being, they were being harassed and threatened just for doing their jobs. And uh, more recently here in Texas, we had the, the elections office in, in Gillespie County. They, they all quit and uh, basically because they were, they were facing harassment. How worried are you uh, as someone who uh, elections are, uh, this is a big issue for you. How concerned are you not, not only in Bayer County, but looking at things more broadly um, about just the health of our election system when we have people uh, probably being uh, discouraged from yeah. in be working in it? You know, it, it's, it's absolutely discouraging. And what I would say first and foremost that, you know, those people locally and elsewhere who step up to work these elections are, are largely volunteers. I mean, some of them do get paid, but not very much. Right. And, and so they're doing this, uh, I think because they feel a duty, a, a, a call to serve. Um, but, but I think it's important to distinguish two things, particularly because as you all know, I've had my disagreements with, uh, with our elections administrator here locally, but, and I've said this publicly and I've said this to her, I've never had a disagreement with her about uh, competency or the integrity of elections, right? I mean, th there's never been a doubt that when you cast a ballot here in Bear County, that it counts and it's being counted and um, there's no concerns about about that, right? And and I, I make that very clear because um, I think some of the things you're referring to that are occurring not just here, but all over are people who are impugning the integrity of um, the process, right? And, 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 you know, my argument has always been about innovating, um, and, and being more accessible with our elections. And, and, and so, um, I, I think those are two distinct arguments. And, and, and so I think the people who are causing these concerns here and all over, uh, the country are people who, um, bought into a, um, a former president's line that, that this last election was stolen, all of a sudden they think that trickles down to, you know, local elections, um, which I think is unfortunate. And it's a little bit depressing, frankly, that people are buying into this because there's been absolutely no evidence of fraud anywhere. Um, and, and so um, it, it's putting people, as you mentioned, in harm's way, because there are, there are um, other folks who are taking these uh, allegations literally, and they think that somehow the people that are working elections are part of this uh, conspiracy, right? right? To not have their vote counted. Well, well given yeah. that, is the county providing or will the county provide extra security? That's not correct. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's a good question. And, and, you know, we also have to be very careful about that because, um, you know, you don't want um, sheriff's patrol or SAPD patrol uh, lining up at election sites because that also could be perceived as as voter intimidation, right? And and so, I think what we're preparing for is to make sure we have um, folks at the ready if we need them to be, um, but also that we have uh, expert experts and expertise on the election process and voting process, so that if judges have questions um, while within the in the um, 
the voting process, they can refer um, those questions to a hotline or someone that can answer those questions. So uh, I, I think it's it's multiple. It's not just physical security, but I think it's also making sure we have um, the legal expertise to answer questions when someone comes in and says, well, you can't do this, or you're looking over my shoulder, you can't look at my ballot. Um, I, I'm concerned we're going to have quite a few of those instances, this not just here, but all over. And it, it really is uh, you know, a detriment to the process because I can see people being discouraged about following through with their their, their vote because there's uh, nonsense like that going on. And, and so we're having those discussions. I don't know that we've got um, it completed, completely um, vetted out because we have to be very careful about um, that intimidation factor too. Um, what, and, what about, what about uh, in increased physical security after the election for the courthouse. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that's something we're, we're talking about too. I mean, not just security, um, as you mentioned at the election sites, but you're talking about when the vote, the votes are counted and afterwards, yes, the, and afterwards and the ensuing, uh, weeks. uh, you know, whoever wins and who doesn't uh, win. Um, we've had some of those conversations and, um, I, you know, I have a lot of confidence in, in Sheriff Salazar and his team, and uh, making sure that, uh, as well as uh, Chief McManus and SAPD, making sure the community's safe because um, it, it's unpredictable. It, it is an, it's an unpredictable environment. And, um, I, you know, I, I, look, I don't anticipate that we're going to have any problems locally. I mean, maybe that's, um, you know, the optimist in me. Uh, I, you know, I, I have maybe more faith in humanity than sometimes <laughs> I should. <laughs> but, but, and it's a heavily Democratic county, too. There you so, go. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. So, yeah. I, so I think there that, weren't be yeah, that yeah. many contested. It, that, that's right. I mean, there, right. I think you're going to yeah. see, um, you know, probably most of the Democrats win, at least in my estimation here locally, um, if not all. And so, um, but but you, you're, you're right. I mean, you have a... Um, governor's race at the top of the ticket here in Texas that, um, you know, depending on who you ask, is getting closer and closer as the days go by. Um, a lot of energy. Uh, you know, I know um, Bethel's in town uh, this week and it seems like he's in town every other day. <laughs> uh, he's all over the place. But, but you, you know, you're right. I mean, I think we have to be prepared for, um, you know, you expect the best, but you prepare for the worst. Right. And I think that's the mentality we're taking. There have been some threats to Bear County, right, to the elections office. And we used to talk as well about um, the security or the lack of security at schools. Yeah, um, yeah. That's another great point, Nancy. We haven't talked about that because one of, um, I, I think, the issues that was raised was we talked about the vote centers earlier, uh, particularly more um, as it relates to the election day. Quite a few of those are on school campuses, right? Elementary, middle school, high school campuses. Um, so we did have some um, principals, superintendents express some concern about um, people coming in and out uh, for election day. Um, I, I think as of now, I think there's been a couple of school districts, uh, Northeast, I believe, and maybe Northside that have basically said, we're going to take that as a student holiday or a school holiday, uh, which I think is great. And, and, and I think, uh, I hope more school districts will follow the lead, uh, because here, here's a, here's the thing when you think about, and I mentioned earlier, as an example, Ms. Garcia, who, who votes at um, Wren every every uh, year, um, that's what they're used to, right? And 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 schools are um, hubs for communities, right? And, and and they should be, but in this day and age, 
should we be a little more concerned about people going onto a campus when there's schools? We have to be. I mean, there, there's it's it's now part of our of our consciousness to make sure we're being as safe as possible. So um, I, I think that's going to be part of um, the concern, certainly this going forward. And then in the future, right? Do we look for alternative places to have elections um, so that people are not going in and out of schools? Um, and, you know, I think for now, the, I think the best solution is what some of the, the superintendents have done. And that's just said, look, um, keep it at our at our local school. We're just not going to have uh, people on campus. And, and I think that's a that's a great solution. But is it something um, that is sustainable? I don't know. I think this is a, a perfect time to, to, to do it, though, and hopefully it works out. A few months ago, representatives for the San Antonio Spurs went to commissioner's court asking to amend the non-relocation contract that they they have with the county, uh, I guess basically asking for uh, the ability to play at least a couple more games uh, outside of the AT&T Center. And so I, my understanding is this next season, there'll be four, there'll be two uh, in Austin, one in Mexico, and one at the Alamo Dome. And um, the commissioner's court approved that. Um, you know, because of the emotion that that the uh, uh, the emotional connection between San Antonio and the Spurs, uh, people uh, these kinds of things t tend to get people a little nervous. This just recently, we had uh, Congressman Tony Gonzalez filing legislation which would make it, I guess, harder for the Spurs uh, and other teams in in similar markets to to relocate. How how seriously do you when when you have people you know expressing nervousness about the possibility the Spurs could leave? How do you see this? Yeah, I mean, look, this is a tough issue. And but by the way, I thought I was a big Spurs fan. Man, Tony Gonzalez, huge <laughs> <laughs> Spurs fan. Uh, he, he is a, a, a an honorary baseline bum. Uh, uh, but, but no, you know, look, it, it makes us all a little bit nervous, right? And, and look, part of it is just our, our mentality, right? We're small market, San Antonio. This is our team. We all bleed silver and black. So when you start seeing these things, um, you get a little bit insecure, right? I mean, it's just the nature of, of, of uh, who we are. Um, you know, we've seen it before uh, where, where the teams flirted with uh, potentially moving, or at least there's rumors uh, back in the day. And, you know, we had uh, folks like uh, Robert McDermott and, and Red McCombs come in and save us. Of course, David Robinson helped as well. Um, a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so um, look, you know, I'll tell you how this played out. I mean, they, they came to, to me um, you know, I guess this was, uh, six months ago, maybe a little bit longer. Actually, the rumors were probably, um, started about a year ago that they wanted to try and play some games outside of the city. And the way they presented this was, you know, look, we're, we're here in San Antonio to stay. Uh, but this has increasingly become a competitive deal, um, not just to retain fans, but to attract new fans. We want to become kind of a regional uh, a team, right? I mean, look at what the Cowboys have done up the road in, in Dallas. I mean, you, you go all the way to the Rio Grande Valley and into Mexico, true. Cowboy fans, right? So um, that, that's the way it was, it was pitched to me. I, you know, look, the Spurs are our partner at the county. Um, I mean, I'm a fan, but they're also our business partner, right? And when your business partner comes to you and says, I have an idea that can help us be more competitive, 
perhaps attract more fans, perhaps bring in more revenues. You have to listen to them and take it at face value. Now, did you know the, the radar go off to me when they said we want to play a couple games in Austin? Absolutely. Um, but um, they initially came and said they wanted to do a two-year deal. Um, you know, I don't want to speak for the judge, but I don't think he was too keen on uh, committing to this. And so, so I helped negotiate this compromise, which was a one-year pilot program, uh, two games in Austin, one in Mexico, and then one uh, to commemorate the 50th year of the Spurs that'll be played in the Alamo Dome this season. Um, and, and so, you know, Peter John Holt, who's now is the majority owner um, of the Spurs, um, when he sits in your office and looks you in the eye and says, this is what we want to do it. We have no intention of moving. Um, how can you not take them at their word? Right. And, and look, this is also a business. So I get it too. And have people been lied to before in business? I'm sure they probably have, but, but I think in that instance, um, you know, you, you have to take them at face value. I think you have to give them an opportunity to prove this out. Um, and I'll tell you, I mean, they're probably going to be knocking on our door too uh, soon to do a second year, right? Even though the first year hasn't, hasn't even been played out yet, because I think that was what they wanted to do initially. So, um, look, I did get a call, uh, right before we made that deal from Congressman Gonzalez. He was very adamant about this not happening. He thought it was, um, you know, the, the, um, you know, the camel's nose under the tent, uh, and it was just the beginning of the end. And I just kind of assured him that we were doing the best we were, uh, or could do with the information we had. Um, and so I, I have not talked to him since that conversation. So, I mean, that was months so, ago. So the Congressman contacted you before the, the media coverage of this. Well, I'm trying to remember the timing of this. This was, um, no, it was not before. It was literally, bef the, it was either the day before. They were going to vote. Super fan. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't that, okay. uh, yeah, it wasn't that early. It was basically the day <laughs> before commissioner's report. Okay, got it. You, right. guys okay. you guys were on top of it, man. You guys were on top of it before he was. Well, of course. Uh, of course. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but, but. Just so, trying to gauge his seriousness as a, yeah, as a super fan, you know. You know, I, I would say, you know, you follow, you know, uh, uh, a bill in Congress, you're, you, you, you're either like a super fan or you're super infatuated. I don't know. Uh, it could be both, but, um, but yeah, so it, it's, I, I don't, I don't understand, um, everything that he's, uh, done. I haven't read the bill, frankly, so I don't know what his plan is, but, um, but look, I mean, as of now, the Spurs are committed, uh, to San Antonio under contract, uh, through 2032. And, um, I, I would guess in the coming years, they're going to come to us to, to potentially renegotiate that deal. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen between now and then, um, with respect to the AT&T center and the viability of any economic development around the AT&T center. Um, the new practice facility is already broken ground. Do you think they're happy with the AT&T Center? I mean, to, I still think of it as a new arena, but it's know, 20 years I, old. I know. So, yeah. I mean, I, you know what? I think they are. Uh, but, you know, when you compare it to today's state of the art arenas, um, you know, it's it needs some improvements. So, right? and, yeah. And, have they begun talking with county commissioners about <clears throat> what so, improvements they might need? So, or, so I think there's want. there's kind of a walking, um, you know, checklist of things that are that are more um, technology based. Um, but they've not come to us as far as I know with a significant ask 
um, like tens of millions of dollars in renovations. Now, um, and I, I'm gonna have our DA's office double check this. I think if we were to do something like that, we'd have to go back to voters uh, because you remember this was paid for with visitor's tax. Um, and so if there's gonna be a 50, 80, $100 million upgrade at AT&T, we'd have to renew that that um, that pledge uh, to the voters uh, it, on is that. There, is there anything that, that the county can can do along with the Spurs to, because you mentioned economic development, to actually promote economic development around AT&T? Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Just Neil? You know, I think that there is a lot we can do. There's more we can be doing. Um, I know there's ongoing discussions about uh, the use of the golf course, which is really adjacent to it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have any, you know, knowledge about any behind the scenes negotiations. So I'm not, I'm not uh, divulging anything necessarily, but, you know, you've also got the Coca-Cola site there that, that I think, um, you know, probably creates a little bit of a hindrance in terms of, of property. But when you look at, and, and I forget the exact acreage, I think when you look at the AT&T center plus the Freeman, um, it, it, I think it's about 80 acres, um, if not a little bit more. Um, and you know, we haven't really gone up out there. If you think about it, it's all surface lots. So I, I think there's opportunity, uh, and, and, and believe me, I talked to Bobby Perez at the Spurs and, and Derek Howard at the Freeman frequently. There, there are people who are interested in doing, uh, something more in lines with an entertainment district, right? Where you've got hotels and you've got, um, you know, apartments, office space, commercial, you know, we just did some kind of catalyst. And I think, um, you know, really a significant infusion of dollars. The mayor's also talked about, you know, the transportation um, obstacle, maybe an east-west uh, via route that, that would bring people down to the uh, corridor. Um, so look, that that's, it, it, this is just me speaking, but, but I think um, in, in order for us to ensure if that is truly where the Spurs are going to be for the next 20 years, um, we've got to do something along those lines to really energize that corridor and 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 put new life into it. Um, because, you know, look, there, there's people out there all the time that say, look, the Spurs should have never left downtown and they belong back downtown. I don't know where that space is. Uh, the city's going to have to grapple with uh, the Alamo Dome and what they do with the dome, right? We talk about the AT&T Center mm -hmm. being 20 years old, you know, double that almost with respect yeah. to the to the Alamo Dome. Right. So, um, so look, here's the exciting thing. And, in, in, uh, you know, I don't shy away with uh, from having to make tough decisions. Um, I'm going to miss uh, Nelson tremendously because he's been a great leader. I was going to ask you about yeah. that these last few months. So, so we're going to have a lot to, to grapple with with the new judge, particularly on this issue. Um, but since, since I kind of segued into your segue, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Nel Nelson has just been um, I mean, just one in, once in a generation kind of leader. And, and I feel pretty privileged to spend so much time with him. And, and I feel sometimes a little selfish spending so much time with him. Um, and, um, you know, he and Tracy as well have done so much for our community. Um, and people ask me all the time, like, you know, Nelson's only got like two or three months left. Is he slowing down? I'm like, no, he's actually ramped it up a little bit because he sees the, the end coming. We've got so many things uh, that, that are on our plate right now from the county's perspective um, that I think he, you know, it's, it's almost like he, 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 there's not enough time. And, and, and he um, wants so much to do um, so many things unrelated to baseball, uh, <laughs> but baseball too. Uh, but, but, you know, he, he, um, 
has left a mark on this community that is just, it's hard to match it, right? And, you know, I spend, you know, either on the phone or in person uh, time with him pretty frequently. Um, and I just try to soak it up. I mean, he, he's just a, a wealth of knowledge. Um, but I think what you'll see in the, in the last few months is um, some, some meaningful investments. We still have um, our ARPA dollars, the, the money that, that the county received from the federal government because of um, the recovery uh, plan. And there are a lot of needs out there, particularly related to mental health and homelessness and food insecurity, uh, that you're going to see some significant investments in those over the next few months. And I think Nelson feels very strongly about those. We made a, we made a huge, huge commitment and investment in public health. Uh, several months ago, about $60 million in um, kind of rethinking public health delivery systems in, in Bear County. He and I um, really saw eye to eye on that. And we said, look, you know, we're in the situation having to recover because of this public health crisis. And if we don't do anything on public health, we're idiots, right? And so um, that that's a big part of the county's responsibility. And I think you're going to continue to see that over the next few months. Um, you were talking about economic development on the east side and uh, the Republican candidate for county judge Trista Berry has, has suggested during the campaign that the county judge has sort of impeded economic development on the west side and has she's advocated for a new, uh, a new jail or the relocation of, of, of the jail. Just curious yeah. what you make of that idea. Hey, I'm all for, for relocating the, the jail, but you tell me where, right? I mean, number one, tell me where, and uh, two, you tell me how we come up with $400 million to pay for, for a new jail. Um, so the, the jail, just for, for the listeners, is in my precinct. It's on the near west side. Um, and, and to a certain degree, I think you, you could argue that um, some of the uh, revitalization um, slash gentrification you've seen on the east side, for example, um, has not happened on the west side because you have this artificial barrier of the public safety facility um, in addition to Haven for Hope. Um, and, and so, look, I've talked to folks, uh, you know, like Henry Cisneros, who, who's doing some work on the west side. I think I think that may be a line of thinking that I stole from him because I think he's, he's um, mentioned that before. But I also think that there's opportunity on the west side, irrespective of uh, where that facility sits. Is it, you know, a little bit of an eyesore? Sure. But I think that in a way, um, because it's a public safety presence, it almost can be a, a an area that is one of the safest in the community, right? And so I think if you start talking about it that like that um, and you see the proximity of um, downtown, the Western edge of downtown to UTSA downtown um, and the development that's that's occurring there. And I think as you see people moving closer to uh, the, the inner core of the city, um, over the course of the next 10 years, we're putting between us and the, the feds probably close to 150 million in the West Side Creeks, um, which is gonna completely help revitalize not just uh, flood control on the west western edge of downtown, but also create those recreation opportunities, which which add to quality of life. So, um, so the West Side, I think, is still very desirable. Do we need work? Do we need meaningful investment? Yes, I just don't know how realistic it is um, to, to move a facility like that that houses, you know, 4,500 people daily. You have so much, uh, you've gotta be somewhat in proximity to 
um, SAPD and, and the booking process. Look, it would it would take a, a, a huge um, uh, probably uh, investment from voters to probably say we're going to help pay for a four hundred million dollar jail. I mean, that's that's a tough sell. Um, so I, I think in the meantime, we have to do what we can with what we have. And I think there are so many assets on the West side. Um, I mentioned, you know, the older neighborhoods, but also the cult cultural significance of the West side, you know, the Guadalupe theater, um, and, and, and everything that, that, um, you know, I think, uh, the, the, I mean, I'm biased because I live on the West side and I come from the West side, but it's a community that is so strong in, um, not just faith, but also pride. And, and so, um, it's gonna, it's gonna turn. I think we're making these investments. And when you see, um, you know, pe people relocating, not just, uh, uh, families and individuals, but businesses, uh, who are coming to the West side. Um, I think, uh, you know, to me, the future is very bright, but the jail is just a hard thing, uh, to, to maneuver. I mean, on a daily basis, we've, you know, I, I, I don't know how the sheriff deals with it, but there is, there are issues every day in that jail. Um, but I would say this, they're largely contained within the jail, right? So it's not like you've got uh, unsafe conditions around the jail. It's just that it's a transient population. Um, we struggle with keeping the, the numbers down. Um, should it be a smaller facility? In my estimation, yes, because we should be treating folks more for substance abuse and mental health uh, crises, as opposed to just locking them up. Um, and I think that's something that the county's working on. So just a few blocks away from the county jail, you've got the UTSA downtown campus, mm -hmm. which is starting a really, really sizable uh, expansion. I mean, you're, yeah. you've already seen the new data science building on yeah. Dolorosa. What impact is that going to have on on the near west side? On, you know, I, I mean, I, I think it's going to have a, a huge impact. Look, I, I think, number one, you, you have um, a community. Well, first of all, let me acknowledge the fact that um, the West Side is also home to Our Lady of the Lake University and St. Mary's University, uh, two great higher ed institutions. But now you've got UTSA kind of on the other uh, corridor. And, and number one, I think symbolically, it, it, it provides um, a symbol of hope for, uh, for our community, right? People, I think that historically have not felt like um, higher education is accessible. It becomes more and more accessible by coming into the neighborhoods and being that close to the neighborhood. So uh, I, I think that's uh, the first thing. The secondly, in terms of economic development, you know, I look at communities um, and I was, I guess it was last summer in Phoenix where Arizona State has a, a, a great downtown campus that's kind of complements uh, the rest of the downtown. And I think, and I've talked to, to Dr. Amy about this, I think that's kind of a model for our UTSA downtown is how do you integrate um, students with businesses, uh, commercial corridors, living spaces. Um, and, and you're starting to see that, right? We're seeing, for example, and the county is a partner in this uh, housing deal with Western Urban on the Continental Hotel, uh, which is on also in my precinct, the Western Edge, right on the on the banks of the of the San Pedro Creek, where there is going to be opportunity for student housing um, affordability in that uh, particularly uh, in that unit. And we're seeing others uh, show interest. At some point, um, you know, the Frio Street building where SAPD has municipal court and some of their booking, I think long-term that's probably gonna, not gonna be there, right? And so what do you do with that? Um, so so I, I think there's, when you look at acreage that's available and you look at opportunity, 
Um, certainly it can't happen soon enough in my estimation, but I think there's plenty of opportunity to transform that Western edge of downtown. And I think, um, you know, if we do it the right way and we do it with community input, then I think it can complement our, our older communities there. And I think that's part of the concern. And I get it too, because we all have get, received um, two uh, spam phone calls. One is about your car warranty uh, <laughs> expiring. The second is about if you're selling your home, right? <laughs> and, and you get those on the West side when someone's been in a home for generations, that's a concern, right? And you have speculators that prey on those opportunities. So we have to do it the right way and make sure we have the right partners. Um, but I think uh, from the, the people I've spoken with, um, certainly at the city level, um, you know, we want to collaborate and do it the right way. And I think we will. Well, before we wrap things up, I wanted to take a question from a listener. We've been inviting uh, people to submit their questions at expressnews.com forward slash ask Pudo. And this question kind of relates to uh, your your time in the legislature. Yeah. Um, the, the question is, how can we get ballot initi initiatives in the Texas Constitution and why don't we? Um, do, I mean, I, do you want me to take that or you want yeah, to take so, it? Yeah, so ballot initiatives, I guess they're talking about- um, Petition. Let, let's say, for example, uh, we want to put um, uh, legalizing marijuana on the ballot or- uh, gambling um, is that is I guess that's is that the kind of thing they're talking I about? Think so, yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> the way it works, I mean, those are those are more related, I guess, to constitutional amendments, um, and they they'd have to have a someone in the legislature sponsor uh, that, um, and it's almost the same process as having to pass a bill, which is not easy in the legislature, um, and and, and uh, to get it on the ballot, and it would be it's, an, it would be two thirds, I think, it's for two thirds, two thirds yes. in yeah. each house. I'm sorry. Yeah. Two thirds. Yeah, it's like a resolution. And then, and then once it gets two thirds in each house, then it goes to the voters and then it's a simple majority. Exactly. But like exactly. some states do have, they do allow for initiatives, petition drives right. where you can get something. And Texas is just not a state. That I, you know, I'm not aware of that. Uh, if it could be citizen driven, to be honest with you. And, and um, you know, what we're talking about refers more to like a constitutional amendment, yeah. uh, which is that why it's a two third uh, threshold. Um, but you know, I, I know at the local level, certainly you can have um, citizen-driven petitions, right? Sure. And and so, um, you know, there may be some way to do it statewide. I'd have to look into that. But I think uh, if you're talking about going to the voters in those off uh, number years, it's typically yeah. uh, when, you know, elect, uh, elected officials aren't on the ballot, they That's put right. the, the, the uh, proposals on the ballot. That has to go through the legislature and it's a two-third majority. Yeah. And so so basically, I think if, if people are uh, at the grassroots level, want to see something happen, they really have to kind of work with you, the people in the legislature to try to see if they can kind of sponsor exactly. something like exactly. that. Yeah. Justin Reese, it's always great to have you yeah. on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's for being been fun. Here. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening in. Hope you're doing well. And we'll be back with you next week. Take care.